All right, and good morning, Ridge Point Church. How is everybody doing this morning? Man, come on, after a song like that to kind of lead into the message, I'm so excited. We're glad that you're here. Uh, one of the things I love right now is just to see, we see a lot of new faces weekly, and it's really cool to see people getting plugged in and, and really starting to get kind of involved in what's going on. And every once in a while, I think it's good for those people that are new, but it's, even for those who've been around for a while to have a refresher, we just like to break a couple of myths about church. Uh, see, I didn't really grow up going to church per se. I, I, didn't, I gave my life to Christ when I was 18, and really that's when I started going to church. But prior to that, I wasn't going to church a whole lot. But when I got to be 18, I started going to church. And, and there were a couple of myths I started seeing in church that some people kind of bought into. And, and I didn't see this with everybody. But this first myth I saw with a lot of, not a lot of people, a few people at the first church I went to. But the number one myth I want to break this morning is that you can't have fun in church. Like, I know there are churches out there, and, and the people that have this attitude, they, they mean really, really well. Like, they have good hearts, and they're trying to do the right thing. But there are people, I, I view them kind of like the gatekeeper of the church. Like, there are some people who are self-appointed, we're the gatekeeper of the church, and no one's going to have fun in here. And you walk in, and it's like, right away, if anybody starts to have fun, they're watching. And they'll walk up. They'll walk up to you straight up. They'll walk up, and they're like, listen, you are in the Lord's house. And they'll be real serious about it. And they're like, and listen, there's, there's a part. We should take what we do really, really seriously. Like, like I, I think in the second myth we'll get to in a second talks about this. But, but there should be this idea that when we wrestle with Scripture, we should take that idea very, very seriously. But that doesn't mean you can't have fun. And a lot of people, they show up at church, they're like, wait a minute, I don't, you're, you're walking in church, and I know this is a little bit different, but wait, you're allowed to have fun in church? Yes, you're allowed to have fun in church. In fact, I read in the book of, the book of Luke, it talks about that, and, and God says this, that when one of us, as, as those people who are living here on earth, one of us as human beings, when we give our life to Christ, the angels are celebrating, and, and God is a God who created that celebration. I'm going to head myself a little bit. We'll talk about this next month. But, but God is a God who created celebration, and I think that what we do in here should be an extension of that. And so it's okay to come into church and to have fun with that. If you have a hard time doing that on any given Sunday morning, here's what I challenge you to do. Watch Alan back here. Come on, he's back here just, just going crazy. Like he's enjoying himself, he's having fun, he's dancing. In some churches, if you said dancing, they get really offended by that. But, but he's dancing, he's having a good time. I love hanging out with our band to see, and I kind of warned that beforehand, guys, I might talk about them a little bit this morning. But, but to see that it's okay to celebrate and it's okay for us to enjoy church. And take a deep breath and say, okay, this is okay. I can have fun. So here's what I want you to do. It's going to be kind of participatory today. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, it's okay for you to have fun. Now, some of y'all really meant it. Some of y'all are like, it's okay for you to have fun. You're not even having fun with that. Like, it's okay for us to come in here and to be able to enjoy this thing. That God didn't create the church to be some boring place where we have to go every Sunday But he gave it to us as a place we get to go every Sunday, to be here, to enjoy this time. And so if if, if you're not enjoying this, then doing something wrong, like something's not connecting. We want you to be able to enjoy this. If there's everything we can do to help you out with that, let us know that. But the second thing, because I see a lot of people who say, okay, I get that there are some churches that are having a good time and they're all fun. But if you're having fun in church and you can't get deep. It's almost like you have to have one or the other. Like if we're going to go to church that's really, really serious all the time, and if you're really serious about it all the time, then you're going to be able to grow and there's going to be death. But if you're having fun, then it must all be surface level. One of the things that we strive to do as a church is to every week when we gather together like this and when we meet in small groups throughout the week, 
is we, we gather ultimately around God's word. And we, we try to create an environment where we can talk about this. But to at the end of those messages, at the end of those talks, say, okay, here's a practical way to, to take this home with us when we leave here. We want to leave here challenged by God's word, but with something we can have as a takeaway to take with us, say this week, if I do nothing else but apply this, at least I'm getting a win somewhere in my life. And a lot of times those things aren't big, earth-shattering type things. A lot of the times they have something to do with the idea of loving your neighbor. You're like, well, that's not really deep. I get that. Like, everybody gets that. We should love our neighbor. A couple years ago, I was having this conversation with someone. We talked about this very topic. And they said, you know, I don't think there's anything deeper than loving your neighbor. Like, if we all just got that right, if we all just got what it really means to love our neighbor, everything else would start to fit into place. Like, God says, ultimately, here's two things you got to do. Love God and love people. If we do those two things, it doesn't have to get any deeper than that. Although we know in the practical application of those things, it does get very deep and it does get very challenging. And so I believe that we can create an environment where we can have fun, where we can enjoy this, where when, when we sing, we can express what God is doing in our life. We can enjoy that time. When we, when we do fun things, interactive type things, we can do those things to be able to enjoy it. But also, on the flip side, say, okay, how can we use this to start to grow and start to build some spiritual maturity in our life? Today I'm hoping this is one of those talks that gets us to that point where we start to talk through, okay, what does, what does, when I start to wrestle with scripture, when I start to wrestle even with my concept of God, what does that look like when I don't always have all the answers? Last week we kicked off this, this series called Separate Peace. And, and I'm going to say this probably every week, but I, I really want to focus on this. Uh, so just, just a disclaimer, if you hear this next week, know that that's why it's such a big deal. Uh, week one for this series, it's going to be a seven-week series, but week one was a pivotal week. If, if you weren't here for some reason last week, and I know we say this quite often, but this time I really, really mean it. If you missed week one, go back and listen to week one by, via the podcast. I'm going to review a little bit, but week one was pivotal for us to get. Now, if, if you weren't here, you'll still understand today, but week one lays a strong, strong foundation for every other week and what we're going to talk about. So I'd encourage you, especially this week, go back and listen to week one. But here's, here's the deal behind week one is that each one of us are longing for peace in our life. And for most of us, when we wrestle with what that looks like on an individual basis, we tend to think, if I can just get peace in specific areas of my life, if I just get this figured out and I get this figured out and I get this figured out, if I could just get those things figured out, and if there's external peace, then at some point I'm going to arrive at a spot of having internal peace. And we have this thing flipped around because it doesn't work that way. We, we tend to think, okay, if, if, if my struggle right now is in some relationship, maybe right now you're, you're married and you're having a struggle with your spouse, and you said, if I could just get that figured out, if I could just get more time, if I could just have more emotion in this marriage, if I could just have whatever it is, then everything else in my life would line up. Or maybe it's a friendship, or maybe it's your finances. Like, finances are a big deal. It seems like you're always trying to find a way to struggle to make ends meet. And if I could just get my finances figured out just for a season— I'd, I'd achieve peace in my life, or if, if I could get my work situation figured out, or if I could get what I, you know, just the things that I enjoy doing, if I could find peace in those things, then by the external peace happening, then I'm going to arrive at a spot of having internal peace. And we strive to do that, and we work really hard, and we chase after relationships, and we chase after finances, and we put all of our time and energy into these things, and then it all falls apart. If you're here last week, that was, that was the moment when we flipped over the, the stool and, and the puzzle went flying. 
our life falls apart and all those pieces crumble. And we realize we can't find peace in the pieces. See, our peace that we're striving for, the peace that we really long for in life isn't an external peace. It's an internal peace. For each one of us, that means we have a void in our life that can only be filled by Jesus. And we chase after with finances, we chase after with relationships, and you see people who throw their lives away for relationships, and when those relationships don't work out, they don't know what to do. Because they put their peace and their confidence in a thing that wasn't tangible and it wasn't real. And then when it's gone, they're struggling. But if we learn how to really not just give it lip service, but how to really put our full peace, our full confidence, and rest in Jesus. It's not to say that chasing after those things is is bad. It's saying if I find all my peace in those things, then I'm out of balance. But if I find my peace in Jesus, and then I try to have peace in my relationships, and I try to have peace in my finances, and I try to have peace in my workplace, then that becomes healthy because those things are things we should be striving after. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those people that are chasing after peace in those areas. But we arrive at peace first internally, finding there's a void that can only be filled by Jesus. But once he becomes my peace, then in the individual areas that I pursue, I can arrive at a spot of having peace, knowing there's a chance there's going to be conflict down the road, but that conflict won't change the point that I am at peace, not because of my situation, but because of Jesus. Now, once I do that, Once I arrive at a spot where I say, okay, God, I get my relationship with you is the most important. My relationship with with you, because of what Jesus did, is most pivotal. Once I arrive at that spot, then it gives me the freedom to start to pursue peace in other areas. And for the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about, okay, how do I do that? If my confidence is in Jesus, then how does that start to work itself out in situations? And for this, for our opening week, we're going to tackle a big one. And I think it's one of those things where it it might not impact us every day. It it might, but it might not impact us every day. But it's one of those things where if, if we were honest, we'd say, yeah, I have some questions about that. And I think if we're really honest, we'd realize that there's a whole world of people all around us. And they look at it and they say, man, you guys go to church. How do you believe all that stuff? Like, like, and they'll look at this one topic and say, that right there is why I don't go to church. That right there is why I won't believe in your God. We're going to talk about this topic of how do I find peace in a world that seems bent on war. If we look around, it's, it always seems like it's something. Sometimes it's, it's international wars that are taking place and there's all stuff going on in Afghanistan and Iraq and, and Syria. Sometimes it's more a localized uh, terrorist attack or something that we see happen. Uh, just this week we hear about an attack that took place in, in Nairobi. And we, just this morning I heard about a terrorist that hit a church in Pakistan and over 50 people died because of it. And like we hear these things and it's enough for us to start to ask the question, God, where were you in all that? Like, God, this, this devastating stuff happened. Now, here's what I believe. I believe the Bible is absolutely God's word. And I believe the Bible reveals the character of God as a God who is loving, a God who is just, a God who is patient, a God who's working things together because he is absolutely in control. And yet there's times, there's circumstances that, that come up that I'm like, God, I don't understand why that happened. 
And so we have these wrestles, and I think it's okay to have questions and to question God. God's big enough for those questions, but I think it's also good for us to arrive at some semblance of an answer. And so today we're going we're gonna to tackle this question of, okay, how do I find peace in a world that seems bent on war? A couple of years ago, I had a chance. I was, I was flying from, I was doing some schooling up in North Carolina, and I was flying from Raleigh-Durham into Atlanta, connecting flight home. And I happened to sit down on a flight. It was just a short flight, like an hour-long flight. And I sit down on the flight, and, and a young man comes. He sits down next to me. And he's probably 22 or 23 years old. And we sit down, and he pulls out a book. So I figure you can always kind of tell by people's demeanor whether or not they want to talk. And he pulls out a book, which right away I'm figuring, okay, he just doesn't want to talk. And he starts reading the book. Well, as he's reading the book, he's kind of grunting and groaning along with the book. And at first it starts off just like a little bit, like he's kind of like, oh, oh. But then it starts to get more like excessive as he's reading it. And I'm like, all right, he's not, he's doing that because he wants to talk about whatever it is he's reading. Like it just became obvious, more and more he's doing this. I'm like, all right, he wants to talk. And then he, he, sure enough, he puts the book aside and he starts to share his story with me. Like I, I love talking to people, but I didn't even like initiate this conversation. And he's like, he's like, man, this book, it's so real. And he starts to tell me his story. The young man had just returned from fighting in Fallujah. And he was part of some army group that was over there fighting. And, and he's returning back. And, and he's like, this book was actually just written. It was, it was like produced very quickly. And it was a book written by someone that was right where he was. And so all the stories he's reading is stuff that he had just experienced himself. And he's like, man, this thing is so realistic. It's, 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 it's hard to read. And yet he was sitting there like soaking up during this trip. And so we're, we're kind of talking. He's kind of sharing his story a little bit. And he's talking about how he was having such a hard time processing this all. Because he was, again, 22 or 23 years old. He wasn't married. He had no kids. And he's fighting next to these guys that he'd grown to love. They're a band of brothers. They're really in this together. And he's fighting next to these guys who are older, who are married, who had kids. And some of those guys were dying, and he had it. And he's like, man, I just don't understand why this person died and I didn't die. And he's, you know, he's wrestling with that. And we talked about that from a scriptural standpoint, what that looks like and what that means. But there's part of me that was just sitting there. I said, you know, I could sympathize with him. But I couldn't empathize. Like, I have no idea what that's like. I, I couldn't begin to say, hey, man, I, I know what you're going through because I don't. And I think there's inside of most of us a desire for there to be peace. And some of you right now, you have relatives and loved ones that are overseas that are fighting and, and in the midst of some of those situations. And some of you have been there before and you've been in the midst of those situations. And it's time we look at that, and whether that's happening on an international scale and we're a part of it, or whether that's happening on a local scale, it's just stuff that we're going through. We look at these things and we say, God, I don't understand. Why is all this stuff happening? If you're in control, if you're sovereign, God, why is this taking place? Why do you allow this to happen? And then I read scripture where not only does God allow it to happen, but God actually mandates that it happens. I want to do this real quick. I want to look at a couple of verses. And this isn't an isolated incident, but in Deuteronomy chapter, uh, chapter 20, we're going to look at a couple of verses real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 20, we're going to pick up in verse 16. And I want us to see this. What's happening here is, is God is commanding his people uh, to go into the area of the promised land. And, and the cities that he's about to mention, the areas he's about to mention are all in the promised land. And so God gives this command to his people, and eventually this is going to come, come to play. But he says this, but in the cities of those people, of these people that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes. But you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded. 
that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. And so you sin against the Lord your God. Here God has given his command saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go wipe out everybody that's there. Don't leave anybody living. Now, now there's, there's, some, there's a discussion to be had there, and, and I think that there's an okay discussion to be had. There's a reason for it. God doesn't just say go and do this without any reason, but God gives reason for it. And, and I think there's a part of us that longs for, okay, I want some explanation, and that's okay. Here specifically, God says, I want you to do these things, and there seems to be some indication earlier that God had given them a chance to change their ways and, and all that. God gives them a chance, and, and, and they don't respond. And so God says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go, you're going to wipe them all out. And I want you to do that because if not, there's a danger that their practices and, and their belief systems are going to get intermingled with yours, and you're going to lose some of that that makes you separate from the world. And so God says, here's, here's what I have for you. Here's what I want for you. It's specifically for those people. And, and we can have this discussion, and then we can have a discussion right where we're at right now. And I want to say this as another disclaimer as we kind of begin this part of the talk, that w- what we're talking about tonight has, is, is, is not any comment politically about where we're at as a country or anything like that. This is just a generic talk about, okay, what do we do when we're wrestling with this topic? What do we do when I'm trying to find peace? But it seems like everywhere we look, there's, there's conflict in relationships, and there's conflict in, in, in finances, and there's conflict in the world war and terrorism and all the stuff that's happening. How do I find peace? See, the world does seem bent on war. In fact, someone did some research, and they said from the year 3600 B.C., so they figured just about 5,600 years. In that time, in those 5,600 years, there have only been 292 years of peace in the world. In that same time, there's been over 14,500 wars that happened in our world. So in 5,600 years, there have been almost 15,000 wars. That averages out to almost three wars a year taking place. And so we look at that and say, wait a minute, God, I, I don't understand this. And yet I see that sometimes war might be okayed, I guess. And sometimes, God, you say we should go to war. And so some theologians throughout the centuries have gotten together and said, okay, war at times might be just. And I know people who've been to war before might say there's no such thing as just war, but, but they're talking about the idea that sometimes war might be necessary. Not that anyone likes it or thinks it's good, but sometimes war is necessary. And so throughout the centuries and, and the millennia, uh, theologians have commented on this. And, and there's one guy who kind of, uh, everyone kind of came to accept his theory on just war. It was, it was Thomas Aquinas. And Thomas Aquinas said, okay, if a nation's going to go to war, if someone's going to go to war, there are three criteria that must be faced. Number one, War must be waged by a properly instituted authority such as the state. God says we're supposed to obey those who are in position of authority, that God put them in a, in a position of authority. And it's not up to us to make those decisions. On our, like, like we're not going to gather together. Say, okay, guys, let's everybody gather together. Okay, let's go to war. We don't have the authority to do that. So Thomas Aquinas says, first thing, if we're going to do this, the only way that, that war is going to be just is if, if war is being waged by a properly instituted authority. Second thing, war must occur for a good and just purpose rather than for self-gain. We see countries and, and kingdoms being built up this way where a, a certain ruler would get a lot of power and, and he would just see another area that he wanted to overtake and he's like, all right, we're going to overtake that area just because we can. That's not a just reason to go to war. And so Thomas Aquinas says that's, that's not a good reason. That's not a just reason to go to war. And the final one, probably most important, 
For a war to be just, peace must be a central motive, even in the midst of violence. If we're not longing for peace, and sometimes there's conflict necessary for peace to come about, but if peace isn't the end means, then then it's not a just war. So we get that. We can have this discussion. We can have this talk. God, why did you do this in Deuteronomy? God, why do you allow war to happen? And we could have an intellectual discussion. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we look over a long period of time, we see that probably we're on the right side of that discussion. But here's what I started to see is even when I feel like intellectually I got it together and I figured this thing out and, okay, God, I see there's reason for war. I see at times that war might even be just. I can have a discussion, but at the end of that discussion, if I'm having a discussion with a person that's an unbeliever saying, how can you follow a God that believes us? Okay, let's talk about that. And we can have this discussion about it. And then I pack up my books, put in my bag, and I go home. And not a wrestle and say, God, I get that at times it might be necessary. But I still don't pretend to understand it. I got to see the pain and the devastation around me. I don't always understand it. And if I'm looking for peace, I think this is where we get it. If I'm looking for peace, especially in this area, I can't allow the things I don't understand about God to cloud the things that I do. You see, I, I see things, stuff happens around us. There's war happening and there's bombings happening. But it doesn't even have to be on that scale. I can have relationships that I care about and those relationships fall apart or someone that I love is no longer with us. Or we go and our mission team has traveled to Honduras or Dominican Republic and we see children that really don't have a hope for much of future. Statistics tell us they're probably never gonna travel more than two miles outside of where they currently reside and they're living in trash dump communities. And, and it just, we look at those things, we wrestle and say, God, how does that happen? And we struggle with that, but I say, God, even though I don't always like the situations, here's what I know about you. I know you're a loving God. I know you're a God who's absolutely in control. And I know that you promise that you're working all those things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so as long as I have that peace. As long as I say, God, I know these things about you. Even when I see things that I don't particularly care for, I realize I say, God, I'm going to trust you. You've proven yourself trustworthy. You are God. I'm going to trust you. Even when I see devastation, I'm going to trust you. Why? Because I'm not going to allow the things I don't understand about you to cloud the things that I do. See, there's this, this passage in Ezekiel. It's going to show up on a screen right now. There's this passage in Ezekiel where God is speaking. And he says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. I think more than any of us, God realizes the the price that, that pain can bring. Because God, being a God of peace, sent his own son to die a horrendous death in order that we who really, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't deserve that grace, that mercy. We who don't deserve it can have peace. And so God says, listen, if, if you have any question about my character, let me start to talk about who I am. He says, Here's, here, here it is. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. New Testament, we, in the New Testament we read, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come repentance. God's desire is that when we're looking for peace, that we find the peace ultimately in his son who had to die a very painful and horrific death. 
So before we point our fingers at God and say, God, this whole war thing, because that's what people do. They point at God and say, God, all this bad stuff that's happening, this is your fault. Realize this wasn't his intent. Like his intent was not for us because the core problem for all of this is, is our sin nature, the stuff that we do, the stuff that is, gets messed up. And that's not God's desire. And God says, that's not my purpose. That's not what I want to see happen. But here's what I started to discover as a dad. See, we adopted our children. They were four, eight, nine years old. And when they first came to live with us, especially when they were really, really little, it was easy. Like whatever conflict they had in their life, it was really, really easy to fix it. Like when they're four, eight, nine years old, the conflicts aren't that severe. They're riding in the back seat fighting over toys. Okay, I can fix that. Something gets broken, I can go to the store and get you another one. Whatever the conflict is, as, as big a conflict as we could think when they're that age, we say, okay, I can fix that thing. No, don't worry about it. Dad is here. And if you're a parent, you know, especially when your child is young, like their concept of providing strictly comes from their parent. When they're two, three, or four years old, like your parent almost becomes like a, almost like a God in their life and that they, they take care of everything. But as a child grows up, he realizes mom and dad, they're not perfect. They make mistakes. And they can't handle every conflict. And part of our challenge as adults and as parents is to figure out as our children get older, when do we intervene and, and fix the conflict that they're facing? And when do we take a step back and say, okay, they have to work through this conflict. Now, I'm gonna provide guardrails and I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit there and make sure they don't get too far off course. But part of growing up is to deal with conflict and to realize, man, life is gonna have some conflict and we have to learn how to work through that. And so our biggest challenge as parents is to figure out, okay, how tight are the guardrails? But I, I wanna make sure my kids don't get off track, but at the same time, as they got older and as those conflicts started to get more and more severe, we take a step back and say, okay, I'm here to give you advice, but you're gonna figure this out yourself. I think God looks at us and says, yeah, I could fix every conflict. But some of this stuff is stuff that we made, mistakes that we made. And ultimately realize that peace won't happen here on earth until Jesus returns, whatever, that, that that's not gonna happen, that there's gonna be conflict, there's gonna be wars, there's gonna be rumors of wars. All of that is gonna happen. And so if we're looking for a peace that comes from the world being a peaceful place, that probably isn't gonna happen right now. But if I say, man, I have peace in Jesus, that that is ultimately the source of my peace. And now as I try to find peace amidst the conflict, I start to realize, yeah, okay, God, I get that I don't like this situation, but I trust you because you're God, because you're sovereign. I trust you because you're a God of love and you're taking care of these things. And I trust you, so I'm not gonna point my finger at you and blame you for this because I know this wasn't your design. This wasn't your intent. And before I go and do this, because some people look at it and say, okay, I'm not gonna blame God. I know who I can blame though. I'm gonna blame all the leaders that are out there that are making a mess of our world. And sometimes we do that and the Bible says we're supposed to obey and respect the authority God puts in place and sometimes we don't do that. But I wanna see this because if we're asking the question, okay, then why does war happen? I get that, this wasn't God's design, but why does war happen? If you have your Bibles open, flip over to the book of James chapter four. We're gonna read two verses in James chapter four. And I want us to see this because this is true whether the conflict is world leaders throwing bombs at each other or whether it's us as human beings here on earth throwing barbs at each other. The same, the same thing, the result is because of the same problems that we face. Watch this, James 4 verses 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
You desire, you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Why do we have conflict in this world? Why do we have fighting and quarrels and, and wars in this world? Ultimately, it's because we have misplaced passions in our life. Think about every conflict that you've ever been in. Friends that you've fought with, fights you've had with your spouses. Ultimately, every one of those, those fights came because one or both parties had a bunch of misplaced passions in their life. And so when I look at world leaders, and I say, okay, why are they causing wars and what's causing all the fights that they're facing? It's misplaced passion. Some of them are hungry for power and they chase after more power. Some of them are hungry for a name, they chase after prestige. But they chase after those things and it's very easy for me to sit on one end and say, it's their fault. But then I realize when it comes to my own relationships, I do the very same thing. Because I have the same nature. I have the same nature that just because of, because of who we are as human beings, the sin nature has been passed down to us. And, and we continue to, though we strive not to do this, we continue to make choices that at times can be selfish and self-serving. And so I sit there and I point my finger at world leaders and say, Hi, it's your fault that we're in this mess and, and sometimes there has to be accountability. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying before I get too upset about where they're at, I really better check my own heart and say, God, I have some of the same issues. It's just the weapons I have are not quite as severe. But maybe they are. Like the words that I say might not start a world war. But they could destroy a family. The words that I say might not cause other countries to rise up. But it could cause conflict with people that I care about. And so the answer is here. Like I, I want to have peace and I want to see, like I'd love to see world peace. People always talk about it like that's an idea that's out there. But if we chase after that and think we're going to find it, it's just not going to happen. But if I find peace and realize as much as I can, I'm going to work to be a peaceful person Maybe I can't fix the problems that are going on in Syria. But maybe I can fix the problems that are happening in my own community. Then I start to do something. Realize that people are desperately hungry for hope and and, and peace right now. And ultimately that peace only comes from realizing what it means to have a true relationship with Jesus. Not to give it lip service, but to say, I want to chase after him. I want to pursue him. I want him to be the Lord of my life. Once I have that... I can aspire for peace in areas. Next week, we're going to talk about how to try to find peace in our relationships. But it begins here. See, we have the same problem that leaders have. It's not God's fault. It's not, God, it's not their fault. It's our fault. Now, can I do something about that on a global scale? Probably not. But when I'm striving for peace, I can do that right here. We're going to do this. We're going to pray. Man's complete us in one more song. We're going to talk about one way we can do that right here. Let's pray.